Welcome to Trilor Talk. I'm Scott Glovsky, and I'm your host for this podcast where we speak with some of the best trial lawyers in the United States. We simply have great lawyers, tell great stories from cases that had a profound impact on them. So let's get started. very happy to be sitting across the table from John Raspberry, a wonderful, talented, funny, an amazing psychodramatist from Tupelo, Mississippi, who helps trial lawyers all over the country discover the stories of their cases. John, thanks for being here. Thank you, Scott. John, can you share with us a story? A story about what, Scott? A story that's going to inform us and help us learn about storytelling and learn about John Raspberry through your telling of the story. Certainly, I have a story fresh on my mind that happened um, mere hours ago. where I was directing a drama with the intent, other than or along with our usual, of increasing adequate spontaneity and creativity, the protagonist wanted to understand where their intense, emotion to protect people came from. So we embark in the classic psychodramatic process. And share a little bit for our listeners who don't know about the psychodramatic process, what that is. Um, Psychodrama is the Use of guided dramatic action to help a person uh, achieve what it is they're after for that moment uh, in psychodramatic theoretical nomenclature. What we're after is always to increase the degree of adequate spontaneity and creativity in a person. Spontaneity is new and adequate options to old problems and adequate options to new problems. And the nemesis to that is anxiety. So we are attempting to help a person Show us a story, not tell us, but show us a story in action where their anxiety is high and they're stuck, they're, they don't know what to do, they don't have direction or answers, or 
the direction they want to follow. They're scared to death to do that, to follow that direction. And so we uh, enact this. Uh, It's the second oldest form of psychotherapy next to uh, following psychoanalysis. J.L. and Zerka Moreno, J.L. was a Viennese psychiatrist that immigrated to America in 1925 and brought this theory and methodology with him and his wife helped co-create it. And and, uh, so it is a wonderful storytelling method that Jerry Spence and some other initial attorneys co-created, used to co-create this trial lawyers college and how to go about using the methodology, some of the techniques in the courtroom or in trial preparation. So today was one of those days that we were, I was helping an individual tell a story, show a story, enact it. And as I said, the what we what the protagonist that's a greek theater term central figure what the protagonist was after was this uh, what makes me have this in, this intense protection of people so we uh, began the drama and we always like to go from 2018, or the moment, the present, in this case, 2018, show us how this intense protection shows up in 2018. And so he took us to a courtroom scene where we could see him and in the role of an attorney and trial lawyer, passionately, intensely, unerringly attempting to protect his client in an environment that was hostile to his client in the alleged offenses. And as so often happens in one of the ways that the that psychodrama has gained notoriety is its effectiveness in dealing with the past and undoing the past and redoing the past to have the kind of ending that should have been rather than was. So here John Raspberry is directing this psychodrama that had significant anxiety present. And I found myself manifesting in action the same intense desire to protect. So the protagonist and I 
were walking hand in hand. As the psychodrama started, it was my delusion that I was different from him in some way, that I did not have this intense desire to protect, that I was just being a good, solid clinician and psychodramatist and doing my job. And so as the tension ensued in the drama, and the struggle to deal with this anxiety. I looked to the newsprint that was on a whiteboard where we were conducting this group. And I was trained to write down the initial statement of the protagonist when I asked the question, what do you want out of the drama? And the statement was, find out where this intense desire to protect comes from. And two hours into this drama, significant efforts to try and get the protagonist to a place where I wanted him to be rather than where he wanted to be. It dawned on me. I am in the moment. Of intensely trying to protect this protagonist. There go I. This drama is about us, not him. Oh, was just like. I turned to this part of me that was, was working, working, working to come up with the solution to get him where this part of me thought he ought to be. And I said, what are you doing? This is your drama, not his. This is not, he did not say he wanted to be healed or, or wanted to get revenge or, or wanted to undo. Uh, he didn't ask for that. He only asked to help me understand where this intense desire to protect comes from. And there I was. There you are. This part of me. Just like the protagonist. So as Dr. Moreno taught us, we're all much more similar than we are different. Regardless of the educational level, the experience, the training, 
when you strip all that away. We're all the same. So I told this part of me, you go sit down. You haven't been asked to come here. So that then I could turn to the protagonist and say, You said you wanted to find out what created this intense desire to protect. That certainly feeds your trial lawyer role. Have you found that? What have you found out? And with tears in his eyes, he said, I got my answer. And the answer is, My desire to protect is so intense because I too have been hurt. So I could then walk with him instead of trying to lead him somewhere. I could be with him instead of above him or beneath him and beckon him to come and join me. How crazy is that? That I think that I could beckon someone to come be in a place I think is so much healthier or superior to where he is. Zerka Moreno, who I had the pleasure to study with and be trained at times by, in her brilliance, I'm just, just brilliance as a psychotherapist and particularly as a psychodramatist. She could, her spontaneity was so high in creativity. She could see and feel forces in the room that the rest of us couldn't. And she would come up with stuff, brilliant interventions and directions. And after one of these brilliant psychodramas, a member of the training group said, Circa, how do you do it? How in the world did you know to do that at that time? That was perfect. Zerka, who at this time was probably 82 years old, one-armed woman, sat silent for what seemed like forever, but I'm sure it wasn't, but a minute. And she looked at the hundred or so trainees in the group and she said, I knew to do that because a still, small voice 
told me to do it. In that same still, small voice told me this morning to walk with the protagonist. When you were allowing your interest, your desire to protect, to become involved, where did that desire to protect come from in John Raspberry, in your story? Oh my gracious. Um, well, we would probably need five podcasts to tell that whole story. Uh, to suffice it to say my own abandonment, how I have been abandoned in knowing the um, pain that comes with that, feeling that separation from the rest of mankind. And never wanting myself or anyone else to ever experience that ever again. My, uh, the, the field of psychology popularized issues of attachment. They popularized uh, those issues back in the late 70s and 80s by calling it codependency, being codependent that uh, it's unhealthy for my livelihood to be overly connected to yours. And so I end up unintentionally, in the, in the, you know, unconsciously, not, uh, not maliciously, but I end up trying to, to, to make you feel better so I can feel better. And that there was something wrong with that, unhealthy. Psychodrama and sociometry. Sociometry came before psychodrama. And any psychodrama practiced without the use of sociometry is not psychodrama. It's just a practitioner that has been to a couple of psychodrama workshops, picked up some tech techniques. Uh, uh, many of the pr uh, popular psychotherapists of the 20th century uh, did such. They went and watched Dr. Moreno direct psychodramas, and they took some of those techniques and made them their own and wrote books around them and tweaked them. And, um, but they didn't do uh, sociometry. You ask many of those practitioners today and back then, what are you doing? They say psychodrama. They're not doing psychodrama. They're using psychodramatic techniques in experiential therapy. So sociometry, the study of inter 
personal relationships. So the codependency. So the, the Morenos theorized in sociometry that the smallest number is two, not one. And everything is codependent. I could not do this podcast if you weren't here with me, sitting across from me. So for this instance, this moment, without you, I cease to exist as a person talking on this mic across from you in a podcast for TLC. I am dependent on you. Problem becomes when it gets too big or too little. But my profession has made us scared of dependency. We need to be independent. Don't need anybody. Make it on our own. That's what a healthy person can do or does. And since 1925, the Morenos have tried to get us to understand that that way of thinking, that concept is a defense mechanism to protect us from the vulnerability of being face to face. Because you might Decide you don't like this, the way I'm doing this podcast, what I'm sharing right now. Pull the plugs. Thank you very much, John. The show's over. I got to be vulnerable. And all of us have been at one time or another, particularly children, and that's usually where we got hurt initially. And learned pretty quickly. If I don't want to get hurt again, don't be vulnerable. Don't get too deep in a relationship. Just kind of keep it. Don't get too, as my profession says, attached. Oh, God, be careful. Don't get too attached. You'll get hurt. So, we're screwed. Smallest numbers, too. Not one. I noticed that you're wearing a shirt that says, It's okay. I'm on, on 500 milligrams of fuck it all. Correct. You can go to my website if you'd like a prescription. I'd be glad to fill it. So, share with us a funny story. A funny story. A funny story. Let's see if I can recall the correct um, 
phrase I was using at this time. I'm struggling to come up with it. Um, all right, let me move to another funny story. I was in the middle of a psychodrama many years ago. And I was playing someone's what we call child ego state in attachment theory. But in psychodrama, we call the uh, inner child or the, the, the child part of the person. And I, so I was playing that role. And we were dealing with abandonment issues and... I was doing my usual stellar Academy Award work as the small child who had been abandoned. Grieving and begging my mother to come back, to, to, to not leave me. 20, 25 people in the group, there was not a dry eye in the group. My mother, the, my mother in the drama was just suffering and tremendous, tremendous emotional upheaval to have to leave the child, me. And the tension was mounting. And the director who shall remain nameless came in this poignant moment, this touching moment of restoration and healing. And as he bent down to take my mother's face in his hand and my face in his hand, he farted. the place fell apart. I, the place fell apart. It was the most hilarious, wonderful, vulnerable moment that I will carry to my grave. But the essence of life, the very essence of life, that in the depth of that pain, in the depth of that reality, that a mother was leaving her son, both with their hearts ripped out, a fart emerges. You can't write this. I know of no author, no producer that could write a script that powerful. What a great story. So what are the elements in telling a great story? 
Or what advice do you have for lawyers who are trying to tell a great story? Leave yourself and become the other. The only way I believe a great story can be told. As long as I tell a story, the story, your story, my story, from only the perspective of myself, then we only get half the story. And it's no good. So the trick becomes not empathy. Our culture has been stellar, both religiously and educationally, to, to impress upon us and train us about the importance of empathy. But empathy is only a half measure. The only reason I can become empathic with you is because I've had the very same experience. I know how you feel. Because the same thing happened to me. Well, if that's the only way we can connect, then that means I can't hang out with people or connect with people that I don't share a common experience with. Because I won't understand them. Christ taught this before his death and we have struggled with it since. J.L. Moreno picked it up because one of his uh, I won't say mentor but I will say one of the most significant figures in his life was Christ. He was a Sephardic Jew believing in Christ. And Christ, you know, always told us. Greatest gift, I paraphrase, the greatest gift a man can give to another is lay down his life for that man. Christ was not talking about dying, literally. He was talking about dying to the ego of yourself. For that moment, not forever, Be, develop the ability to leave yourself and become the other. And we've heard it particularly in the 60s through song, you know, walk a mile in my shoes. Well, that's not empathy. Unless you want to stay you, and I'll take your shoes, Scott, and put them on my feet and try to walk in them, but I'm still John Raspberry trying to walk in Scott's shoes. I have to be able to become Scott. And that takes some training. But you asked me to tell a good story. I have to become the object of which I am telling and speak from that role so that I can then say to the jury, ladies and gentlemen, here is my truth regarding the incidents we're here to litigate. So, 
many ways to tell a story, but only one way to fully feel a story. So you shared with us your story of the psychodrama dealing with abandonment and then the director let out a fart. So for the benefit of our listeners' education in psychodramatic tools, I want you to reverse roles with a fart. (laughs) What do you look like? I am a vaporous, ethereal combination of swirling gases and fumes. What do you sound like? What do you smell like? A combination of the carcass of a rotting buzzard combined with that of, at my age, Scott, a good shiting in the pants. And once you come into being in all of your glory in this dramatic moment of life, What is it that you want the world to understand about you? Give me your soliloquy. Even in the depths of pain, and love, and loss, there's some shit somewhere. John, thank you so much for sharing with us uh, your (laughs) great stories and wisdom and humor. And I know that you have helped so many lawyers discover phenomenal stories to help their clients and helped clients, help people discover their stories to become empowered and healed and connected. I just want to say thank you for all the wonderful work you've done. Thank you for helping me personally through psychodramas of mine that you've directed. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. for joining us today for Trial Lawyer Talk. If you like the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could give us a good review on iTunes, and I'd love to get your feedback. You can reach me at www.scottglovsky.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-G-L-O-V-S-K-Y.com. And I'd love to hear your feedback. You can also check out the book that I published called Fighting Health Insurance Denials, A Primer for Lawyers. That's on Amazon. 
I put the book together based on 20 years of suing health insurance companies for denying medical care to people, and it provides a general outline of how to fight health insurance denials. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you in the next episode.